customer experience. It's what sets some of the best companies apart from the rest, yet it can often be hard to achieve. Tune in monthly as we uncover the secrets behind great customer experience. This is Experience Better, the CX Podcast. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Experience Better, the CX Podcast. I'm your host, Alfred Sawatsky, Director of Product Management at Kubra. Your customers want a fast and friendly customer experience at all times. But let's face it, maintaining that expectation is hard, or at least it has been until recently. That's where chatbots come in. Companies from every industry are using chatbots to customize their experiences. Today's episode is all about chatbots and how they're changing customer expectations. We've asked Colton Marshall, product manager at Kubra, to join us. Thanks for joining us in the studio, Colton. Well, thanks, Alfred. I'm happy to be here and I'm really excited to talk to you today. So your work involves artificial intelligence, and you've spearheaded the chatbot initiatives for Kubra and our clients. So can you tell us a little bit about what a chatbot is and how it works? Sure. Yeah, so um, when we say chatbot, what we're really talking about is a computer program that simulates and processes human conversation, so written or spoken utterances. And it's using artificial intelligence kind of more specifically a subset of that called uh, natural language processing. And it allows humans to interact with digital devices and computer systems as if they were communicating with a person. Um, so conversationally interacting with, uh, you know, whether, whether the program be a Facebook bot or something on Google Home, that's all in the same realm of what we call a chatbot. That actually reminds me, so that's going to date me a little bit. Um, about 40 years ago, so probably when I was in middle school, I was getting into computers, and well, you know, it was all command line stuff. And one of the uh, one of the apps, one of the first programs was Eliza. The, the, the it's like a psychologist type program, and you, you could it would ask you, "How are you doing?" You'd say, "Fine," or you'd ask it a question and say, "Can you tell me more about that?" <laughs> but it seemed like the answers were always kind of kind of canned. I mean, it was um, it's like. That was our first attempt at um, uh, artificial intelligence or natural language processing. So mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing that's not what chatbots are uh, anymore. But um, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sure. Yeah. But I want to take a small detour before we uh, continue about chatbots. So you've used words like artificial intelligence, natural language processing. Mm -hmm. And quite often when I hear those words, I hear another term thrown in there, and that's um, machine learning. Can you say a little bit about how machine learning fits into um, what you've been describing? Yeah, sure. So so artificial intelligence really is kind of a general catch-all term, um, but it's basically just the idea that computer systems can be uh, used to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. And that just means decision-making, visual perception, speech recognition, things like that. And machine learning is a subcategory of that, or that's really kind of how it's perceived. Um, so when we say machine learning, we're talking about computer systems having the ability to perform tasks without first being programmed to perform that task. So traditional software requires that you program an explicit set of instructions and, you know, Basically, you're programming the logic of the system, and that's the decisions that the system is going to make given a certain input, and it's going to produce a certain output based on that. So you have a very well-defined set of parameters within which the 
system operates. And so machine learning is sort of flipping that and saying, okay, we're going to take a set of algorithms that can quote unquote learn. And what that means is the algorithm is capable of recognizing patterns in large data sets and making inferences or creating associations based on those. So that's fundamentally what machine learning is, is it's just a set of algorithms that are capable of sort of being applied generally to data and then learning from that data, right? And that just is basically pattern recognition. And then natural language processing on the other end of that is taking those machine learning algorithms and applying them specifically to language. So um, we take the pattern recognition algorithm, we apply it to language, and they're generic. So they're not necessarily, they don't understand English or Spanish or anything like that, but we provide them with enough, enough examples of how someone might convey a certain idea, say, ordering a pizza. And then the algorithm can start to recognize the linguistic patterns around ordering pizza. So what that means is if we've trained it well uh, and we give it a completely new way to order a pizza, it can extract an intent to order a pizza out of that, even if it's never seen that particular phrasing before. So it essentially is giving it the ability to recognize patterns on new input based on the input that it's been trained on. That's kind of a general, if that makes sense. I don't want to get too technical. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure our listeners might not necessarily uh, be interested in the super technical stuff, but that I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And um, maybe not to to beat a dead horse here with the with the Eliza example. It's like when 40 years ago, when I would ask, you know, when I would tell it how I felt, I felt sad, and mm-hmm. she would always say, "I'm sorry, you feel sad. Can you tell me more more about that?" And I say, "Well, I'm not very or." Um, I'm not very happy. Oh, I'm sorry, you're not very happy. Can you tell me more about that? It was the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. So some Mm -hmm. programmer had written a bunch of um, statements that if this word sad is in in the word or in the sentence, then respond a certain way. Right, yeah. And what you're saying doesn't need to happen that way anymore. Yeah, exactly. So that is a chatbot, but it is sort of a proto-chatbot in that it is still being explicitly programmed to recognize certain keywords, right? So if you say, I'm feeling happy, it probably recognizes that that's a positive thing and says, oh, I'm glad to hear that you're feeling happy. But if you say, I'm not feeling happy or I'm feeling sad, then it says, oh, that's a bad thing. And it's got that explicit, like you said, conditional statements in there saying, if this word is in there, then respond with this. And so it's a chatbot, but it's not using the AI or the natural language processing that we have today. And it was just between me and that chatbot. It wasn't between a million people on that chatbot. Right, so the yeah. chatbot couldn't learn other words for happy mm-hmm. or other, or even other languages for that matter. Right, right. So, um, well, cool. So th- thanks for that clarification on machine learning. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, getting back to chatbots, so why do companies use chatbots and kind of how does it fit into the whole customer experience um, thing? Yeah, well, I think chatbots are really interesting technology for a few reasons. Um, you know, typically we've relied on websites, graphical interfaces, and call centers, you know, to really make sure that customers are getting what they need out of a utility or service provider. And what a chatbot opens up is the opportunity for those very, very repetitive tasks that typically require a human um, or typically require a very um, maybe esoteric set of things that you need to do on a website in order to accomplish them. We're enabling those repetitive tasks to be accomplished in a more natural way. So rather than going to the website to pay my bill or going to the website to report a power outage, I can just open up my favorite 
you know, communication channel, Facebook Messenger or something like that, and say, hey, my power's out. And we're enabling essentially that natural interface, and we're also offloading that volume from customer service reps. And I think that's what why they really are important for customer experience, because there are a lot of repetitive tasks that we typically see uh, call center reps dealing with. And every minute that a call center rep spends on a call, uh, you know, performing a sort of basic task that they do 20 times a day is a minute that they can't use to actually help someone with a task that really requires a human. So there are a lot of tasks that simply don't require humans anymore. And we're trying to make those as accessible as possible. And I think chatbots are important uh, for doing that. And there's been a lot of interesting predictions about chatbots and their effect on the industry. You know, the, there's been a very famous prediction that 85% by 2020, 85% of uh, customer interactions will be handled without a human agent. It's pretty ambitious. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be there by 2020 because it's coming up pretty soon. But currently, you know, we're seeing a huge explosion in chatbots and platforms supporting chatbots and the ability to build your own chatbots. Uh, all of these tools are sort of coming out of the woodwork, and uh, that's been really interesting to see over the last couple of years. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, what, what kind of, um, so we talked about different platforms. I mean, how, how does a person interact with a chatbot? I mean, like, what, what channels are there? Or? Yeah, it's, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of channels that support chatbots, and then there are a lot of tools that um, basically hack channels to allow them to support chatbots, where the chatbot is using the channel in the, sort of the intended way, but it's still an automated user. Um, but definitely Alexa and Google Assistant are the two big ones that everyone thinks of when they think of uh, you know, voice user interfaces like chatbots. So Alexa and Google Assistant, your smart speakers, but also Twitter, Facebook. There's uh, the estimates as far as how many chatbots are on Facebook range anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred thousand to millions. So we don't actually know, but um, definitely these really major social media platforms have been a huge push for um, for chatbots. And then at the same time, we also see interest in legacy channels like SMS. So that's Essentially, any channel you can think of is is what we're seeing uh, interest for in SM, or in uh, chatbots. Um, I'm interested in getting into some stories or mm -hmm. examples. So, um, do you have any examples of uh, you know, what other industries or what kind of industries are using chatbots, and maybe some examples from that? Yeah, we've seen a lot, especially some really high profile um, businesses. So, Starbucks has a barista chatbot. You can train it to understand your favorite order and it can make that order for you and you can just roll into Starbucks and pick it up. Um, Whole Foods has a really cool uh, Facebook Messenger bot so it can provide you with recipes. Um, I think if I remember correctly, you can basically give it like your shopping list and it'll tell you uh, what recipes that uh, can be made with that or you can actually just give it, hey, I want these recipes and it'll generate that list of all the things. Of course, they're all things you can buy at Whole Foods. Um, so it's kind of cool because it's uh, giving people kind of an inspiration to go get the items that they want to make a specific recipe. And it's uh, also trained on things like emojis. So if I want a pizza recipe, I can just send it a pizza emoji. So that's, um, that's pretty cool. And obviously, you know, we work in the utility industry. Um, we're targeting a lot of specific use cases that are really, I think, um, core of for the, of a core of the customer experience in utility industry. So things like reporting power outage, like we were saying, um, you know, checking your balance, paying your bill, uh, getting tips on how to lower your energy usage, seeing your energy usage. These these things are all 
things that we've typically relied on apps or uh, you know web portals to um, serve to the customer. And you know if I don't have to go to a website and remember my password and log in and do all of that um, to access those services, that's a win in, in my book. So I think there's some really interesting use cases across the industry, but you know obviously the utility industry is the one that I find the most exciting right now. Yeah, those great some great stories. So the pizza emoji, of course, got my um, my engineer brain thinking. <laughs> I think because the the machine learning algorithm doesn't know it's a pizza, it's a no, notices it knows there's a certain set of characters or some right. kind of bits, and it's I don't know. I, I think different operating systems might have different representations for a pizza emoji. So you might think you're ordering a pizza and you'll get a I don't know a pineapple. Or something. So, <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to hear some stories about that where emojis were misinterpreted by a chatbot. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of cases of that. I think, I'm not sure if there's a universal emoji uh, code, but if there isn't, then that means that probably there's a lot of mapping going on between different uh, operating systems to make sure that emojis are showing up correctly. Yeah, make for some great stories. Yeah. Well, those are some great examples of how, um, you know, some some companies, some well-known companies in the industry are using chatbots. So uh, we work for Kubra. Mm-hmm. Is Kubra using chatbot technology? Yeah, definitely. So that was something we wanted to make sure we had an answer to that question. Um, so we actually talked to the marketing department and talked to the people that um, you know deal with our website and our website visitors um, on a daily basis. And we found that there were a lot of very uh, common questions that people were sending into the contact us form. Um, things like, you know, they end up on the Kubra website because they're trying to pay a bill with their utility um, or they just got turned around and ended up on the Kubra website because they clicked a you know link on their u- utilities easy pay page. And we just want to make sure we're able to direct them to where they're trying to go. So things like, hey, I'm trying to pay my, you know, uh, my Duke Energy bill. How can I do that? And we give them the link to do that. Um, other things like, you know, are there any jobs available at Kubra? Um Basically, pretty much any sort of common question that we saw on the website, we've enabled the ability to interact with the chatbot. And it was also kind of a proof of concept for our uh, white, what we call our white label channel. So that's going right on the website. It can be dropped onto any web page and is enabling the exact same user experience that you would get on Facebook Messenger or um, any of the other channels that KubraIQ, our, our NLP product works on, uh, now can be enabled on any website. So that's something we've we've worked hard on the last few months. So it sounds like in some ways it's a um, a next level of frequently asked questions. I bet but you can have a conversation with the frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for um, sharing those examples, but let's dive in a bit more. So, mm-hmm. so we talked about uh, the chatbot and we've established that it's not just a bunch of code that's written. There's some kind of training and um, machine learning. Mm-hmm. Can you um, kind of step us through the process of how you teach a chat- chatbot what to say and how to respond? Mm-hmm. I think... Um, First, you have to really make sure that you have a, a, a well-defined scope. So you need to know, you know, what is it exactly that, what, what tasks are r- repetitive and repeatable enough for us to justify making those a use case for the chatbot. So establishing the goals for the chatbot, standardizing um, those specific tasks, so things like reporting a power outage. We know that the goal is always to report a power outage. There isn't an extra outcome that you know uh, could possibly come out of that. So it's easy to standardize that and say, the goal is report a power outage. Um, and then next, you have to develop your script. How is the chatbot going to respond um, during a conversation involving something like reporting a power outage? 
and then you have to train and test it. And that's really the the meat of making sure that you have a quality chatbot. So um, everyone brings their own experience and language uh, to the chatbot. So the developers who are writing it, um, you know, they grew up in a specific environment, a specific geography with a certain vernacular. And so the way they say something is going to be different than someone who grew up in a different place. So you can't just rely on the people who are developing the initial uh, conversations and doing the initial training to get the chatbot to where it really is comprehensively able to understand um, a lot of different utterances. So it's important to bring in people uh, from all over the place to test the chatbot. So ha- people talk to it, tell, ask people, hey, you know, try and report a power outage just like you would if you were telling a person that you were trying to report a power outage. And you're getting all of that um, extra data, and we call that crowd testing. So we're taking people that are qualified, that know how to use a chatbot, and we're um, providing them with a script to go through. But the script is really just prompts. And we're not trying to guide them to use any specific language that would trigger the exact response we want. In fact, we're trying to get it to be incorrect because that gives us more information that we can then use to add to the bot's training set, and that makes it smarter. So um, it's a constant process. It's it's never uh, it's never finished. We're always looking at um, cases where the bot hasn't understood someone and evaluating whether or not the utterance was um, is a valuable thing to add to the training set or if it really was kind of gibberish and it's better that the bot doesn't understand that in the future. Um, so it's a continuous process. We're always monitoring. We're always refining. And that's something to keep in mind when you're implementing a chatbot is that it's there's always going to be cases where it doesn't understand. Um, and the, the idea is to get those to be the very, very small minority of cases. But the way you do that is by just constantly watching it and making it improve, making improvements to its training. So I'm more interested in those small small minority of <laughs> yeah. cases because they're the most interesting. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what does that involve? Does it involve a human going in and looking at these things that the bot couldn't figure out mm-hmm. and then making some human type of decision? I mean, what- yeah, yeah, exactly. So when the bot doesn't understand something, it doesn't have the intelligence currently. It depends on like certain very sophisticated bots do have the ability to sort of make those judgments, but. Um, in cases where we're really trying to limit the scope and target specific use cases, it's important for a human to go in and ultimately make that determination between what is a valid misunderstanding by the bot where someone just said something that was nonsense or not covered by a specific conversation that the bot uh, knows how to have and what was a legitimate misunderstanding where the person was trying to do something that the bot is fully capable of, but the bot just completely misunderstood them. It's important for a human to go in and make those distinctions currently. Um, you know, In the future, it's possible that we could have uh, much more sophisticated consumer-grade chatbots that can make those uh, adjustments themselves, but currently it, it does require a human touch to go in and review. So do you have any examples, like either where an interesting use case was requested by you know our you know a customer of ours that said we want to answer this particular thing that mm-hmm. that seems kind of you know a special scenario or an, a story of when you were doing the the reviewing of things that the chatbot didn't understand like some interesting response from a user that you hadn't anticipated at all yeah we've had some really interesting um input and we've had some interesting uh, desires from clients. So uh, one client we were working with, 
uh, they had gotten a few questions uh, that were very specific, um, specifically asking about whether or not they sold old utility poles and whether or not they sold old um, work trucks. And the specific questions that they wanted to be able to answer were very specific things like, oh, like the church down the street needs a new truck. Uh, you know, do you sell old trucks? Um, and we worked with them to really determine, you know, how frequent are these questions? Because if they're not frequent enough, then it's hard for us to get the training data we need to effectively make that a conversation that the bot can have. Um, so we did end up implementing the one that was selling old utility poles because it turns out that's something that a lot of people ask because it's a way to get, I guess, uh, dimensionally consistent lumber mm -hmm. uh, for projects. Um, so that was something that a lot of customers were asking. So that is uh, one of our clients has a chatbot that can answer that question. So that was kind of interesting. And then on the input side, uh, various strange requests come in from customers all the time. Uh, we had one, it was just a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was like someone was asking essentially, uh, like they needed their refrigerator replaced. And they were saying, okay, I'm just going to leave the refrigerator on the street and you need to come pick it up. And the chatbot didn't understand what they're saying. saying, I don't understand. You know, can you try phrasing that a different way? And the person didn't seem to understand that they were talking to a chatbot, despite the fact that this chatbot is specifically designed to tell people, I am a chatbot. When it doesn't understand, it says, I'm a chatbot. I can help you with these things. Um, so if you need additional help, here's a link to our contact us page. So yeah. that's how the chatbot typically responds to things that it doesn't understand. And this user didn't seem to be reading that. So it just kept getting, uh, they just kept getting more frustrated and basically saying, look, I'm, eventually they got angry and they were all caps and they were like, I'm going to leave the fridge outside on the, on the street. Oh, no. You just come pick it up whenever it works for you. So that it, there's some really interesting, uh, it, you know, you're trying cover the majority of cases you try and you think that you've designed the chatbot in such a way that no one could possibly mistake it for a human and that's surprisingly not always the case maybe they should have used a refrigerator emoji yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of designing uh, for a human or interacting uh, with with humans humans do small talk mm. um, and I've seen some examples of chatbots trying to do small talk and it's yeah, kind of iffy but I mean how, how important is small talk for a chatbot uh, setup so it's a good point, and it's a good question. The, the issue with small talk is it's about balance. Um, we found in our testing, and the industry has found in a lot of research, that humans don't like to uh, deal with a chatbot um, without them being immediately made aware that it is a bot and that it has limitations. Um, and the more small talk you put into a bot, the more likely it is to be misunderstood and misinterpreted and misperceived as a human. Um, and that causes issues because we found that users are much more likely to get frustrated with a bot if they think it's a human or if it speaks like a human and speaks very complex like sentences and is able to engage in sort of chit-chat. Mm -hmm. They start to expect more out of it. So... The other side of the coin is that if you don't have any small talk or any chit-chat, then the customer experience is very cold, and some users don't like that. So there's a balance to be struck there. We want the bot to be able to answer things like hello and goodbye and thank you and respond to things like that because it's just strange if someone says thank you and the bot says, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, so being able to enable those uh, small chit-chats, uh, small talk intents for a very few specific responses is important. But beyond that, uh, it's it's difficult 
um, to justify putting a lot of small tuck into a bot unless you're willing to undertake the task of you know, really broadening the scope and making sure that it's a very comprehensive and capable um, experience. So that's very interesting. I mean, small talk seems so trivial or just so natural, but it could really mess up your experience if it wasn't done right. Yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. Well, we are nearing the end of our time today. So is there anything in particular that companies should be aware of before launching a chatbot? Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's uh, I'd say a lot of things. Um, so language is a really strange thing, and I think our relationship as humans to it is very complex. Um, so it, it's a serious decision to center an entire product experience around language. You know, prior to chatbots kind of m coming into the industry, we had, if you go way back, we had, you know, the phone system press zero to speak to a representative, um, and then we moved on to IVR. And so, so what's IVR? Uh, interactive voice response. So, you know, we've all had conversations with, uh, like, our cable provider or something. You know, you call the customer service line and it says, to speak to a representative, say a representative, right? Mm -hmm. And then you say representative and it says, to speak to a representative, say a representative. And you say, representative. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of the... Uh, precursor to um, some of the chatbot and voice recognition services that we have now. Um, so you could say that that was sort of the first attempt to really focus that user experience and that customer experience around language. Um, but it is, it's a big decision to do that. And the way a chatbot um, speaks is the linchpin of the entire user experience. It is the user experience. Um, so there's no graphical interface with a chatbot, right? We don't have the ability to leverage um, the elements that typify a lot of modern traditional design language. So we can't use look and feel to convey user experience um, in the same way that we can with traditional apps or websites. And all we have is language. So we, it's really important that we properly manage how this technology utilizes language. And we find that you know a majority of people would find it more frustrating, like I was saying, if a chatbot can't solve a problem versus a human. So it's important to make sure that you're explaining to the user that this is a chatbot, it has limitations, and yeah, I would say that it's important that people who have experience, the experts that have experience with chatbots, be the ones to uh, start that user experience and make sure that it's being built out the correct way. Well, I think that's a good way to... Uh end this conversation with you. So basically, don't hide from the user that they're mm -hmm. talking with a bot. Mm -hmm. And then users will um, cut the bot some slack if they know it's, it's not a human. Exactly. Well, Colton, it's been great having you on the show today. Um, I appreciate the, kind of the deep dive we, we went to in the beginning and then kind of went over to the stories and talked about, you know, kind of the steps involved in training a bot, kind of the limitations, the pros and cons. Yeah, it was great getting to, to know that. And, of course, we could talk about this a lot more. And, of course, uh, the technology will continue to progress. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we can get you on the show again maybe in a year or so um, when, when we've taken like the next steps and gone to the next level of chat botanist. Anyway, yeah. so thanks for, thanks for joining us. Here well, today. thanks. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. I'm happy to be on, and maybe I'll be on in the future. That's all for Experience Better, the CX podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and continue the conversation with us on Twitter or Facebook at KubraWay. That's K-U-B-R-A-W-A-Y. 
or on LinkedIn at Kubra. Experience Better, the CX podcast is presented by Kubra. I'm your host, Alfred Sawaski. Goodbye for now. I hope you experience better. <laughs>